Welcome to Heard at Heritage. Heard at Heritage features cutting-edge analysis and thought from leading experts in and across the conservative movement, as well as premier events and programming from the Heritage Foundation here in the heart of Washington, D.C., brought straight to you. I'm delighted to welcome our first speaker, a member of Congress who has a very personal story about adoption. The Honorable Dave Schweiker is serving his fifth term in Congress, representing the people of Arizona's sixth district. He sits on the Ways and Means Committee, the Bicameral Joint Economic Committee, and he championed the Jobs Act, is a national leader on tribal policy, and is a strong advocate for innovation and entrepreneurship. He and his wife, Joyce, became parents of their daughter, Olivia, through adoption in 2015. And now I'm delighted to invite Mr. Schweikert to join us on screen. One of the reasons this is really important to my family and myself is my father was adopted, I'm adopted, all my siblings are adopted. We were all born in an unwed mother's home in LA um, by a family that brought us out to Arizona. And my wife and I spent almost a decade trying to adopt and it's it's very hard um we even did all the classes to become foster parents um, because at a certain point we started to give up and the amusing thing as soon as we gave up that's actually um and finished all the uh, foster parent courses um got certified and that's actually when the phone rang in the middle of the night and in our case, it was a doctor friend who had delivered a little girl. And um, in that case, um, the mother at the last moment made the decision that she was um, hoping to put the little girl up for adoption. So we met the little girl at about seven hours and brought her home. Now, you actually have a series of very interesting from the policy standpoints to the personal stories. Um, from a policy standpoint, we had a couple failed adoptions that were absolutely heartbreaking. And it really does force you to sort of think about a bit of, you know, back in the early 90s, there was a large movement across the country to really prioritize um, parental rights. Um, and I believe in some of that, we may have failed to actually prioritize also the rights of the future for the child. And this is not my area of expertise, but it is an area that I have had to live with. Um, we had one horrible experience where um, we had a little boy for a very, very short time, and but it was made very clear that the birth father was on the birth certificate. and would want something. It was provided to us very cryptically. Well, obviously you can't do such a thing. And, and instances like that are just heartbreaking. So what is so what do we not only do to promote adoption, um, promote adoption in a time where birth rates have functionally collapsed in the United States, um, promote adoption in a time where um, you know, parental rights, parental unification is um, 
typically the policy goal of most states. Um, and you know, we see a large population within foster care, yet being able to move many of those children to permanent homes is actually quite a struggle. So, you know, both the joys of having a, this wonderful, precocious little girl who's in the room next to us getting ready for kindergarten, um, but also for the policymaker side, what's the proper balance? And uh, I have this one other fear, and this one may sound a bit odd, but as birth rates continue to fall, yet the number of parents who've postponed um, having children and more likely will be forced into looking through adoption, um, are we going to see more bad actors pop up in the adoption world because of the sense of desperation of those parents? And that, that's a genuine concern. Would you like to share anything more about your mother's decision to um, choose life and choose adoption for you? You know, I actually have a interesting story in that case, and it's a personal one. I was born in an unwed mother's home in LA. Um, I'm in my late 30s. I walk into work and there's an email from someone I've never heard of before. So there's this email that says, hi, um, I'm a friend of your sister's who had, my sister had found her birth mother a couple years earlier. She gave me some information on you. Here's an email and here's some information on who your birth mother is. What do you do? Um, so we had sort of a family discussion. I sent off a very carefully worded um, note and about three weeks later, in the middle of the night, I get this phone call. What is this about? And you're very carefully trying to figure out, um, have I just gotten my birth mother in trouble? Maybe she's never told her family. Um, so with some fairly tap dancing language, you know, just say, oh, I was given some information. I was looking, I shared something very common back on, you know, this date years ago. And moments later, I heard this voice crying, um, and it was my birth mother, Mary Lynn. And her first words out of her mouth were, she prays for me every day. She goes to mass and, and lights candles and prays for me. Um, yeah, that, that how every annually my birthday is just such an emotional day for her. Um, we set a time and three weeks later, I drove out to California to go meet her. And it's one of the greatest experiences I've ever had in my life. Um, I found out I had two six foot tall blonde half sisters. Um, and it felt very comfortable. I, I'm blessed. I had one of the great experiences. Um, an hour later, I'm rummaging through the refrigerator as if this is home. My mother and my birth mother became very good friends. They both now passed away. Um, you know, they would share things, they would talk to each other, often beyond talking to me. But it's an amazing experience um, when you start to think about what is a family? What is the value of life? And then all these years later, to actually have the occasion where, um, 
you know, I've adopted, my wife and I have adopted a little girl and it's the greatest gift in our lives. Um, partially because of who we are, what we do. Um, the birth mother was from our community. Um, we sent her photos. Um, you know, my wife is the baby of 10. So she's not as comfortable necessarily with, you know, we're trying to, you know, when all my siblings get together and we're all talking about our families um, and, and introducing someone who's from a family of 10 kids, saying we're all going to Disneyland together. Oh, by the way, my sister's coming with our family and her family and also her birth family. We're going and my birth family is going to be there. And we have family photos where it's all this extended and you're trying to explain saying, okay, that's your sister, but not your sister's sister. And the crazy thing is the little kids get it. Um, you know, if you have a love and respect for life, um, you know, sometimes we, we have to be much more accepting of a little bit of the chaos that comes with it. And at least in, in the Schweikert household, and, and, you know, particularly also for my sister and my brother, um, it's been an amazing experience. We've had great, just, just a neat experience. But my birth mother also told me the story, and then I got the story from her high school best friend that they were in the car on their way to Tijuana. This is obviously the 60s, um, to have an abortion. And that she broke down crying so, I mean, hy almost hyperventilating, that the girls that were driving her turned around, took her back to her mom. And she talks about that story. She used to tell that story of, you know, being 50 miles from the border. And that was the difference of her so stressing out that a few months later I was born. Um, and in her later life, she developed a type of early Alzheimer's. And my mother had sent her so many pictures of me as a child that apparently were all up around the house right next to my half-sisters. That in, my, in the later years of my birth mom, she actually always believed I had been part of her life because the photos, the stories, the picture albums. So in many ways, um, our life story turned out to be a pretty neat one. Thank you very much for sharing your personal perspective, Representative Schweikert. And thank you for joining us for this event today. Thank you for having me. And now I would like to turn to our panel to discuss the topic of foster care and adoption in America today. How can governments and the charitable sector and communities partner together best to see more children united with forever families as Mr. Schweikert was with his family and now his daughter is with their family. So I'm very grateful to each of our distinguished panelists for joining us and presenting their expertise. First, we have Paul Mulligan, who is the president and chief executive officer of Catholic Charities Community Services in Arizona. Then we'll be joined by Dr. Sharon Ford, the director for foster care and adoption at Focus on the Family. And finally, my friend, Catherine Jean Lopez, 
Senior Fellow at National Review Institute and Editor-at-Large at National Review. Each of them is an incredible champion for vulnerable children in our country who bring decades of expertise from the intersection of government, the charitable sector, and communities. And we're delighted to welcome each of them to Heritage. Thank you. Thank you so much, Emily. And I'm so grateful that the Congressman was able to, to get on. Um, I loved what he said about, if you have a love and respect for life, you have to be accepting of the chaos. And I think that's a great way to open this discussion because so many people, um, when they talk to me about adoption and foster care and they're considering it, say, oh, but but we're not equipped, you know? And uh, no, nobody's quite equipped for life, you know? Um, and we we have to just sort of uh, plunge in, um, whether whether you're having biological children or you're adopting, um, it's, uh, it's similar in, in some regards. With that, um, Sharon, could you start us off and, and just, uh, if you have any reactions to the congressman, but but let people know how you got into this work and what you think is most important for people to know. Hi, Catherine, thank you for having me today. I, As I listened to the congressman, I was like, you know what, it is crazy. There's a lot of craziness that goes on, but what was really um, clear for me is that he and his wife had a desire and they kept that desire before the Lord and God answered in his time and in his own way. And even as he talked about his mom connecting with his birth mother, he said, what did she say? I've prayed for you. And I can't tell you how important it is for prayer to be the center of everything around foster care and adoption because prayer changes things, prayer opens doors, Prayer closes doors that shouldn't be open. Prayer covers a family when they're going through challenges. Prayer um, provides for that time of preparation and equipping. Um, prayer encourages, prayer nurtures. Prayer is that center force that got his mom through um, turning around and having the wisdom of her friends to say, we're not gonna go on and drive those 50 miles. We're gonna turn around and I'm gonna take you to your mom. And his and clearly his birth mother um, reconnected with his with her his grandmother and life came and there's the representative and boy the future changed because his his birth mother chose life and that's what we really want for every child in our nation is for people to choose life to choose love to choose permanency to choose to be an open heart and an open home for a child who stands in need. And in my 30 plus years of being in state government and still even as I work for Focus on the Family, that's the key for me, is people willing to open their hearts to whatever God has for them so that they can make a difference in the life of a child. When we think about the over 400,000 children in our nation who today stand in need of a quality foster family who will love them and nurture them and plant seeds in their life so that they can grow up to be the child that they're supposed to be, the purpose and destiny on their life, that makes a difference. Prayer makes a difference for that to happen. When I think about the over 100,000 children in our nation that are available for adoption today, what's gonna make the difference? A family saying, God, how would you use my family? to touch a life of a child 
to make a difference for them. And hearing God speak to them and them saying, yep, we're going to move forward. God, you want us to parent that child for a season or for a lifetime? We want to be able to be used by you. And so whether it's for a season for those 400,000 children in foster care or for a lifetime for the children who are waiting for their forever family, we need families to come forward. And boy, in working in state government and now working in, in, um, in ministry with focus on the family, that's the clarion call is who will step forward to make a difference in the life of a child. And it's, it's about you. It's about you, that personal conversation that you have during your prayer time that will um, encourage you to take that step. And that first step makes all the difference in the world. Thank you, Sharon. Paul, um, adoption and foster care are in the news because of the Supreme Court case that was heard the morning after the election where the city of Philadelphia, at the same time as it said there was a crisis in, in foster care, um, severed ties with Catholic Social Services there because of their position on marriage. And um, Paul, based on what we heard from the congressman and what Sharon has said in your experience as the head of Catholic Charities in, in Arizona, a lot, of, a lot of people don't believe that there's a religious freedom problem. Um, I, I saw it on social media last night. I read it, you know, we read about it in, in op-eds. Um, why is caring for the orphan so critical to the Christian identity? Well, great, great to be with you all, and um, thank you for for the opportunity to be here. I'm thinking, uh, by the way, I, I just want to say real quickly, I love what the congressman said. I've had that same note written down myself about accepting of the chaos. Uh, we have a personal story in, in my life. Um, my wife and I have um, three adult children now, a little one in heaven, but two of our adult children uh, came to us through adoption and. Uh, I think that expression, accepting of the chaos, uh, could be applied in, uh, very clearly in our family as well. Uh, and I, and I, I was thinking, too, about the congressman's story. To me, it almost sounded like something that you could say was out of the Old Testament, right, of, of God finding a way to just work through the chaos and these things that we look at that don't necessarily um, come out clean the way a lot of people might think the way families are built or should be built. God works through all that. And the, the genealogy of our Lord himself, right? It, it's a beautiful genealogy because it makes reference to these cases where God was working through these kind of complex, complicated situations of family. And he was just working according to his plan. So I love, I love the, what the congressman shared and Dr. Ford as well. Thank you so much for that. Uh, as far as this religious freedom issue, yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a tough one because um, you know the, the state continues to press around a certain, people like to call it a neutral position, but it's not a neutral position. Um, it's a certain ideology about family in this particular case. And the church continues to, to maintain this bedrock commitment. Christians believe that um, you know, marriage is between a man and a woman and, and not because um, the church doesn't love people who are same-sex attracted, gay, lesbian, you name it, right? Um, but because there's really a fundamental belief that, that children have a natural God-given right to a mother and a father. And that's become very controversial to say that. We've accepted it for as long as we have until recently. So this press against religious faith-based organizations, like in this case, Catholic Social Services, our counterparts in Philadelphia, this is true around the country and many Catholic charities that have gone through this uh, and surrendered effectively 
their adoption programs under pressure from the state or the city. Um, Boston, Chicago, those are some examples. Um, but I mean, the press is real, the, this full court press that's going on. And um, I, I appreciate that what the justices were trying to do as well uh, was to say there, there really should be a solution that the state, uh, the city in this case, and um, our religious freedom advocates should be able to reach, right? Because the need is there. The kids are, are in Philadelphia. There's 5,000 of them that, need, um, that are in foster care that, are, that need homes. And if you want to talk about, you know, um, good outcomes, you need to have stable families. So all these other social issues that the city of Philadelphia and cities and states around the country are dealing with start with just a bedrock of family. That's also not popular to say these days, but, but supporting the family is the way that you resolve issues around poverty. Um, and a lot of these particular issues tied together. So I, the court, you know, from the, at least from November 4th, the follow-up of, of this um, oral arguments and so forth, that seemed to suggest, you know, some efforts that these parties should be able to find some, some middle ground here that satisfies all parties. Um, I would certainly hope that's the case because we certainly lost a lot of ground on religious freedom issues um, in, the, in a previous administration. And the concern would just be that um, as the push around same-sex uh, family building continues, that faith-based organizations, Christian groups, all the Catholic charities, all these groups that populate the foster care world and make stability and permanency and adoption possible for these kids, which means good, solid outcomes for our community. If we're sidelined, that's going to be a pretty tough deal. Uh, it's going to have a lot of implications on, on the well-being of our community. So I'd certainly like to think uh, uh, that at the very least, there is a, if you want to use the word compromise position, a middle ground that can be found in these parties. It seems like once it gets so ideological as it is, there's just simply no backing down on, on same sex. And by the way, families can find, same sex couples can find adoption agencies all over the country to place their children. If that's, that's what a pluralistic society does, right? So there are agencies all around the country that are placing um, children and building same-sex families. It's not our belief at Catholic Charities. It's not what focus on the families advocating for. You know, we gotta we gotta hold fast to what our our values, uh, our deeply held religious convictions are on this issue. But there are options, and um, that's also something that reasonable people I think should look at and say, okay, so you're not denied your ability to build a family as a same-sex couple in the United States of America because you're same-sex couple. Actually. I would venture to say, I don't know what it's like in other states, but there are far more adoption agencies that are doing same-sex adoption uh, family building than there are agencies that won't. Thank you so much, Paul. That, that point is so important. And one of the reasons I so wanted to do this event and so appreciate um, everybody's time is because in a country where we are so obviously polarized, um, and we're not going to work out our differences overnight. Can't we just rally around these children and have more choices, not less? And um, and we they don't have the time for us to sort everything out. Um, and this seems like someplace. I, I hope I'm not Pollyanna here, but this is someplace we could actually find common ground because these are real kids living in our own cities. Uh, throughout the country, and it and it's a a number we know of too, and we could really tackle if every church make a, a commitment, every synagogue made a commitment, etc. Um, Sharon, 
Well, I'm, thank you. I'm so grateful you pitched it back to me. I was just sitting here because my, my acronym for today is PAC, P-A-C, Prayer, Advocacy, and Collaboration. Advocacy, we, I've already talked about how important prayer is. Advocacy, advocacy from the top down and from the bottom up. Every county across this nation has churches, synagogues, houses of worship. If every house of, of faith stepped forward into the role of advocacy, focused on not politics, not left or right, the centerpiece, children. You said it, Catherine, let's focus on the children. What can we do to make a difference in the lives of vulnerable children who need adults to stop fighting and mincing over the little things that they think are, are political things, and instead focus on the children who need a, a, a stability, nurturing, care, loving, advocacy, some people who are advocating for them in the school system. I'm at this tumultuous time in our country when there's kids going to school, there's kids not going to school, they're supposed to be online, but they don't have the, the structure to be online. So we have kids who in foster care who are missing out on their education because of the, the current you know, situation in our nation. But boy, if we could all rally around the children who need us and love them, we would have, the, the, our advocacy would make a difference. And the advocacy around um, freedom of religion Let's have religious freedom for faith-based organizations to do the work that God has called them to do, to love on the children, to love on the foster families, to love on the adoptive families. And guess what? The church loves on those birth families too, so that those kids can be reunited safely with their biological families, which does what? Reduces the number of kids in foster care and reduces the number of kids that would need to be placed for adoption because they've gone back home to their bio families. There's healing and whole, you know, setting things right in their birth families. And then my big C is the collaboration. It's everybody's job. Again, that top down, governors standing up and saying, you know what, I wanna do what's right for the children in my state. I want for every organization, however they are, um, whatever their goals and principles and values and mission statements are, to stand up and to walk straight forward to uh, make a difference in the lives of the children and the families. You have Governor DeWine in Ohio. You have um, Governor Kemp. You have Governor Ducey in Arizona and Governor Abbott in Texas and Governor DeSantis in Louisiana and Governor, um, no, um, DeSantis is in Florida and and Edwards is in Louisiana. You have governors who are saying, you know what, I want to rally and use my voice to say, I want families to come forward on behalf of children. We're all in to make a difference for the lives in the lives of these children. So whether it's at the federal level saying, yes, there needs to be this um, support for religious freedom, whether it's at the gubernatorial level where governors are leading their child welfare organizations leading, speaking to their constituents and saying, everybody needs to be all in. We all need to be working at this together. We want faith-based organizations. We want or, um, child placement agencies that are not to be welcoming families in all for the good of children. If we can be, if we could really be the pack, having the pack come together to make the difference in the lives of children, 
we would see just huge, huge difference happening across this nation. And it would be a wave of love, a wave of welcoming, a wave of, re of, of permanency for kids. And that's, that's where our, our focus should be. And that's what Focus on the Family has done, you know, tried to do as we work with going in with the state. We go, okay, who are your community partners? How can we serve you? Governor, how can we serve you in your role of serving your, the children who are standing in need in your, in your state? Um, Faith-based organizations, how can we serve you? State child welfare, how can we serve you? Focus is about serving. As Jim Daly, as he speaks across the nation, he tells uh, everyone, you know what? Our goal is not to convince you to be, uh, you know, a Christian. Our goal is to let you know that as Christians, we come in to serve you and we wanna serve you well. And so what better way to make a difference in the life of, a ch of children, in the lives of a community, than for us to all collaborate together so that the good is done instead of a tearing down and, a, and breaking up um, and not having conversations and pointing fingers. That's not what we're about. That's not what the gospel message is about. The gospel message is about us coming together to make a difference in the lives of children and families. And that's all we wanna do. Paul, one of the things that the Congressman mentioned was how he and his wife almost gave up. Um, lots, of, lots of people step up to the plate, but then find it so difficult. Um, first of all, that, that's a key reason faith-based agencies are so important, isn't it? Um, but are, also, are there obstacles that we should be removing as a matter of policy? Let me get my light back on there. There we go. Um, so, you know, obviously anything that we can do that promotes um, uh, connecting children and families, you know, we think is a good thing, right? And uh, what's, what's beautiful, I'll, I'll speak from the Catholic perspective of having, uh, you know, a wonderful network. Um, our agency, we have about 168 Catholic charities around the country many of which are involved in foster care and adoption. And um, as kind of the Catholic infrastructure goes of parishes and so forth, we have access to so many families um, that, that uh, their values are important to them. You know, they're in the pews on Sunday. Um, they respond to these calls around foster care. It may not necessarily be that they're, they feel called to um, become foster parents or to adopt, but we've got networks of people that are supporting foster families. That's a really good thing. I think those sorts of steps that we can promote uh, as church are really positive for us. Um, I also think one thing that's we have to, to really build on here, I, I'd like to, um, I think, use the word bridge issue, but this should be a common ground issue, right, in many ways that can pull a lot of people together in an apolitical way. Not about, like Dr. Ford said, it's not about, you know, um, kind of liberal or conservative here, right or left. Um, if we focus on the kids, um, we should be able to make a lot of progress that we've maybe been able, unable to make. When you think about uh, pro-life folks, people that really um, show profound respect for life and care about um, the legalization, you know, issues around abortion, right? That we, we have uh, unborn children that have no legal rights or protection and have worked on that as a issue. Well, foster care becomes kind of that extension of the work that we're doing in our maternity homes, uh, like, like Congressman Schweiker's personal story, right? The support that we're providing for women um, who are in these um, uh, pregnancy situations, crisis pregnancies. Um, we get together, we support these 
uh, you know, moms, birth moms, et cetera. Well, hey, the, the kids are going to grow and some of these kids are going to end up in this, the care of the state. That's just the way it's been. You have people in crisis situations. It's not that surprising to hear how many of these kids land in foster care because a, a mom was in crisis and didn't have the support around her. So we're thankful that she chose life. But this is an opportunity for folks on the pro-life side to recognize a continuation of what we really believe about life is sacred um, on, on both ends of the spectrum, if you want to say, from the most fragile unborn to the fragile elderly. Um, this is a beautiful place to kind of park your efforts as well and see the continuity that exists in supporting foster care. I think for folks that may not necessarily spend their time and energy working on life issues, but care about a lot of other social issues, there's an entry point for them on foster care to recognize that, again, the connection between stable families and healthy outcomes for children, I mean, it's just there. That's what all the data shows. So, you know, there should be some real interest there that you could say, hey, I belong in that foster care space as well. And might me, I'm not coming from a pro-life perspective, but I care about my community. I care about the uh, rights of women and children. This is a place to be as well. So I think, um, uh, Catherine, without getting into like the politics, there's a lot of, a lot of room here at the table for people to, to come in and make a difference. I'd like to think that our organizations like Catholic Charities, Focus on the Family, and others that are just advocates for these children and families, you know, can play a role in uh, kind of building some of these bridges. We're trying to do that very intentionally out here with the state of Arizona and uh, our Governor Ducey that, that uh, Dr. Ford had mentioned, who's really strong on this case, his wife, uh, Angela Ducey, our first lady, uh, who chairs the Governor's Council for Child Safety and Family Empowerment. You know, foster care is a big issue. So they're out there trying to bring these groups together and just focus on the well-being of children. And we've seen some good results in Arizona uh, you know, coming out of that. Paul, you mentioned earlier that that uh, if a child gets into a permanent home, um, th this this solves poverty problems later on. It also um, crime. You know, um, one thing we haven't talked too much about is um, children aging out of foster care. Um, when I first heard that that there are there are teenagers who will purposely get themselves arrested so that they have somewhere to sleep and eat and and some stability. That, that should not happen in America. Um, Sharon, what does, um, what, what's your advice to, to people who are thinking about foster care and adoption and, and maybe older children because the older children absolutely need a home? You bet. Um, you know, I wish we didn't have a system that thought, thinks that when you're 18 or 19, you're ready to be on your own because the reality is that's not true. It isn't. Um, I am aware of a young man who just um, aged out of the foster care system in our community. He's 19. His, um, his teacher has actually rallied a group of, of individuals in our community to um, step up and support this young man. Because one, he's, um, he's 19. He's not ready to be out on his own. Um, he doesn't have a job. He barely has a place to um, to have a roof over his head and really needs a lot of support. So am I called to foster? No. Am I called to adopt? No. Am I called to rally around this young man who's just aged out of the foster care system? You bet. Is my family going to take part in answering that call from that teacher? to step up and support this young man as he starts this new journey on his, in his life, you bet. See, everybody's called to do something. Everybody's not called to foster or adopt, 
but is that something wrapping around either support to foster parents, support to adoptive parents, or supporting these young people who are aging out of the system who aren't connected so that they don't have to get break in a car as a place to sleep and then find themselves in, involved with law enforcement and oh yeah, we'll give you a place to sleep. We'll give you a hot, a cot and three meals. You know, they don't need to be involved in the in the legal system. The community needs to step up. This is where our advocacy and our collaboration and our prayers come in to make a difference in the in the lives of these young people who are aging out of the foster care system. Boy, if 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 government would see that the church is a resource and you utilize that resource in a productive way and stop splitting hairs, young, this young man and other young people like him would be connected to their community so that they wouldn't be a part of the lost. They wouldn't be a part of the underbelly of our society. They would be connected and have an opportunity for success and prosperity. Um, he has hopes and dreams, this young man does. I'm gonna call him Ben, that's not his real name, but I'm looking forward. Um, we have this little Christmas list. And so our, our, our family is stepping forward to help um, speak into his life, not just about Christmas, but how to stay connected with him. And so other men um, in this group are connecting with him to work on some, getting him some skills, some resources so that he's connected. But it's not just that one, there are so many. His teacher is the one who, who saw that there was a need in his life. It wasn't his caseworker. It was his teacher who said, you know what? I don't want to lose him and I don't want something bad to happen. And so for all the teachers who are listening today, all, all you community advocates who are listening, there are, there are kids like Ben who are counting on you to step forward and be their advocate because kids don't age out of families. So why are they aging out of foster care to nothing and no one? We need the community to step in and what better community to step in but the community of the church. And so there are churches in every county in every jurisdiction that could be advocating by touching base with the, um, um, the adolescent units in their community and saying, hey, are there kids that aren't connected? Um, or is there a way for our group to make a difference, to play a role in the lives of some youth who are not gonna um, achieve permanency through adoption? We want to, and they're not going back to their birth families. Can we be connected with those young people so that they are seeing that there are people, that they can see that there are people who care about them, genuinely care about them and want to be connected to them um, to be a resource for their success. Paul, one of our viewers in New Hampshire uh, notes that she finds it difficult um, getting parishioners to step up to the plate. I often uh, think that evangelicals have an advantage in, in the sense that uh, they don't have this big bureaucracy um, institution um, that where Catholics seem to assume that someone else is taking care of a problem. Um, how how um, how how should Catholics be diff thinking differently? And in, in particular, I think this is this is a Catholic problem. Um, but, but but every every uh, house of worship. Um, how, how do you how do you really rally people in a serious way? And and also to uh, continuing the conversation about the the um, children who will be aging out. They really are children. Um, 
they're real practical fears, you know, um, trauma um, issues and, and mental illness and anger. Anyone would be angry if they spent their lives in foster care, right? Um, why why should, should people think about it anyway? Yeah, good. Uh, so I guess, you know, you're right. The, in some ways, it's a, a little double-edged sword in the Catholic community. Uh, great infrastructure, and you can you can you've got a great system design, if you will, that that allows for things to to kind of work their way through. Um, and yet, there can be maybe a sense that maybe somebody else has this covered. I guess what would be encouraging is that um, that up there in New Hampshire, you know, they probably have the same kinds of of uh, local um, groups. You know, you got Knights of Columbus that are parish based. You've got just some different um, support systems. That that could probably play a a role at a parish level um, to help advocate for these kids and for these needs. And a lot of it really is, you know, it's making the call uh, from a pulpit. A um, little different in COVID right now, right? But but getting the call out to the community about uh, the, what the need is. So you have to really personalize the need. You know, how many kids are there in New Hampshire or in your state that really need homes? And how many parishes do we have? How many churches do we have? How many how many houses of worship are there? And almost kind of doing some, you know, some backwards math there to start figuring out, well, you know, actually, if, if we could just find a handful of people from our parish, you know, we'd be doing our part. Um, and, and at least in the system, uh, be able to, you know, to provide some of these uh, loving homes. And maybe the answer is not becoming a foster parent in your particular case, but that answer might be to say, well, I could certainly um, do some things to support and rally around a person that said, I want to foster. I think getting a little creative around that might be where there's some uh, potential for us to move the ball forward. Um, so I, I would maybe advocate that up in New Hampshire. But you know, again, I would say the, the bishops just recently um, in their uh, in their pre-election document talked about you know life issues, the, the abortion issue, and so forth as the preeminent issue, um, and they identified a host of other social issues that you know every person of faith and goodwill is going to nod their head to and say, yeah, I care about that too. Um, but, you know, they just they reiterated that because of the special situation of abortion in particular, um, it just remains a preeminent issue right among among these other social issues. So I think there's a lot of inroads that can be made in the Catholic community around that. Let's start thinking differently around life issues. So many people, unfortunately, have life issues as pegged as just this zero to nine month period for a woman that's in a crisis pregnancy. And that's what respect life means in the, the Catholics. That's not it at all. Uh, that's part of it. But respecting life just continues, right, from the moment of conception until that uh, moment of natural death, right? We just we just love life, we respect life, we cherish cherish life, as JP two would say. And so um, maybe getting a little expanding our thinking around that for what it means. And I think that's the inroad for foster care. I'm I'm encouraged because I'm seeing more pro life groups. We're doing this in Arizona with with pro life groups that are looking at Catholic charities and our foster care services. And coupling us up with pregnancy centers and so forth, saying we all have a role to play. So let's work with the existing systems that we have and start stretching some folks into our world that maybe have not identified with it. And it sounds kind of funny to say, but foster care has really been an orphaned issue on social on the social services spectrum because nobody's really owned it. It hasn't been the kind of life, marriage, family advocates per se. And it hasn't been the peace and justice, social justice kind of warrior crowd either. And, and so foster care is literally just sitting out there in no man's land. And that to me is what the opportunity is, is to get these groups together. That can happen on the parish level, by the way. We uh, only have a few minutes left here. So I want to give uh, you both an opportunity to, to say your your last words um, for, for people 
particularly maybe people who uh, haven't been paying attention to this issue and are maybe for the first time now, um, what what can they do? What more um, should they, they go find out? Um, Sharon? Thanks, Kathleen. I think for people who are wondering, how do I make my next step? Um, we'd love, first, first of all, I'd love for you to contact me um, at Focus on the Family. Um, love to have a conversation with you. Love for you to have go to our website, um, which is waitnomore.org, and um, and see that in every jurisdiction where you live today, there are kids who need you. There are organizations that would love for you to come and volunteer to support a foster family, wrap around an adoptive family, mentor a young person who is in the foster care system who's wondering, does anybody even know my name? Does anybody care that I'm about to turn 18? Um, that young person in their quiet time is wondering, God, do I matter? And are, are you gonna send somebody to, to walk alongside me? Know that as an adult, as a, um, a couple, as an individual, you can make a difference in the life of a child. And it starts with you taking prayer, and taking action to reach out to a Catholic charities, reach out to a focus on the family, reach out to a local child welfare agency, a residential facility where children are, are placed in your community and say, I want to volunteer. How can you use me? How can you use my family to make a difference in the life of a child? You matter and that child matters. Let's connect the two together and watch God work. Paul, final words. Great stuff, Dr. Ford. Um, yeah, I would probably say in my little final minute here, um, I'd invite folks that are watching this to um, maybe just pause and think about what the situation is uh, for a child that gets put into the system, if you will. I mean, it is, just imagine yourself in that situation. Um, here at Catholic Charities, we have so many different issues that we work on, but I have to tell you the foster care issue, the, the deeper I've gotten into work here, is one that just continue, continually, I find one of the most challenging situations we deal with because these kids did nothing, right, to deserve this. They're not bad kids. They walked into a horrible situation. And it's one that so many of us just simply don't even consider because, you know, we, we maybe have the gift of a family. We didn't have to go through this. We didn't worry about where the next meal was going to come from or where we were going to sleep tonight. But a lot of these kids don't have that luxury at all. And when you start getting into the individual stories of kids that get moved from home to home to home, and just imagine what that's like. Imagine how disruptive that is um, in, in just sort of learning to trust, learning to just build good, healthy bonds with people. I mean, my gosh, right? You're really, all of us should just be moved with compassion over the plight that these kids have. And there's a tendency to think about statistics and numbers but I like that Dr. Ford shared that, that, that story of an individual you know, who's aging out of the system and really needs more support because that's, that's the reality, um, is these kids each need support. So if we can catch them when they're young and we can achieve permanency, whether that ends up being from like here in Arizona where there's a, a pretty heavy emphasis on reunification with families, what can you do to serve support to the families and keep you know, the bio parents as the parents and so forth, um, and then we sort of go to the adoption route when that's just simply not possible. Whatever the philosophy is, the point is we got to get permanency for these kids. And to think maybe as just a, a participant in this in this uh, session today, 
just maybe take a little time and think about what that journey is. And I, and I just can't help but think that that might tie you into this issue in some way. You say, yeah, that's not acceptable. Um, I don't want anybody to go through that. You know, So uh, that would be maybe my, my words there to close things, Catherine. Thank you so much, Paul Mulligan from Catholic Charities in Phoenix and Sharon Ford from Focus on the Family. We really uh, value your time and thank you for the work you're, that you're doing. And to, to uh, end my part uh, where, where Sharon started her, her remarks, God bless you um, and the work that you're doing. Thank, thank you very much. And I wanna invite Emily Gao back um, to, uh, to close us off here with all gratitude to the Heritage Foundation for co-sponsoring this with the National Review Institute. Well, thank you, Catherine, and thank you, the National Review Institute, for your partnership in bringing this important topic to our audience. And I also want to thank the guests for your incredible work and for sharing the personal stories. I will not forget the story of Ben and many others like him. And thank you for your call to action that every one of us can do something. So we have a number of heritage resources, some of which have been shared in the chat, more of which can be found on our website including a recent article by Leslie Ford on what you can do this month or any month to help children in foster care. And that was in the Daily Signal. So thank you very much to our audience for joining us today, whether you work on the Hill or a think tank or um, just have questions, please feel free to contact us at the information that is listed on your screen. Immediately after this event, you will receive a survey. Please fill out that survey so that we can understand what kind of events you want us to bring to the public square. And finally, to find out more about future heritage events, please visit heritage.org backslash events. Thank you to all of you for joining us for National Adoption Month. We are grateful to each of you for your work and to the audience for your participation.